0: Thank you for joining us for the second half of our two-part series on social media uh, with Simon Healy and Aaron Tang. In the first episode, we talked about three things, which were the police use of social media, the defence response, and admissibility of social media evidence. In this second episode, we'll be talking about identification on social media and defence use of social media. Let's turn now to the fourth, um, the fourth thing that we want to say about social media evidence, which is social media identification. So there seems to be a lot more of this happening and a few cases that address it as well. Can you just talk about
1: some of those? The, uh, the best way to start this topic is through something said by a West Australian Supreme Court judge... Justice Banks Smith in the case of the State of Western Australia and Roe ROE two thousand seventeen WASC one two four, where Justice Banks Smith said at para nineteen the exponential increase in the use of social media has led to a new generation of private investigators. It is not uncommon for victims and witnesses to search Facebook looking for information about an offender or a person they may think is an offender. So particularly over the last five years the courts have had to really grapple with this issue and the facts of the South Australian case of Strauss and police which is... Uh, 2013 SASC 3 um, are very, very typical. That we had some work drinks must have been a very interesting work dynamic in Toys R Us at Modbury, the northeastern suburbs of Adelaide, because at work drinks, our victim, Mr. Hurley, was admittedly very drunk and had a little verbal altercation with a female fellow employee who he obviously knew reasonably well in the course of which he uh, referred to her as quote, a silly bitch, unquote. Um, This comment uh, was noticed and uh, late in the night Mr. Was, Hurley uh, was set upon and beaten the, uh, uh, the question which arose on appeal was whether Mr Strauss was one of the assailants the first one so to speak of the assailants was said to be a Mr Daly who was surprise surprise the boyfriend of the, the female fellow employee there was evidence that a man had said I heard you say something about my girlfriend to Mr Hurley shortly before he was beaten. Obviously that's a classic in terms of the sort of uh, uh, circumstantial come um, uh, hearsay evidence, that is to say involving an implicit assertion that the uh, that the speaker was the boyfriend of the co-worker that pointed towards Mr. Daly being that man. But where Mr. Strauss came in was that Mr. Hurley had been told by other people that Mr. Strauss, who was, it seems, not previously known to him, was the other assailant. And Mr. Daly as being the boyfriend of the co-worker, was well and truly known to Mr Hurley. So Mr Hurley just hopped on Facebook. And he searches up the name of Strauss, which has been given to him by other witnesses, and lo and behold, he sees a photo of the man who became the accused, Mr Strauss, on there in a friendly pose with Mr Daly who is said to be his principal assailant, and wouldn't you know it, he identifies Mr Strauss as the the other assailant. That evidence was at the local or magistrate's court in South Australia admitted, and its admissibility was not the principal issue on which the appeal was fought. Appeals from local or magistrates courts in South Australia generally go directly to the Supreme Court, not only on a question of law. In that case, Justice Peake gave an extremely detailed um, and helpful overview of law and practice as it turns to Facebook ID and ultimately throughout the conviction on the basis that uh, the evidence of Facebook identification coupled with other Uh, flaws in the police investigation was not capable of discharging the prosecution's burden of showing that it was the accused Mr Strauss who was the co-assailant but the evidence was in and in the case of Roe from Western Australia to which I referred the evidence also went in. You're familiar uh, Aaron with the case of Deer in, uh, in New South Wales. I'll get you to uh, reflect on that for a moment.
0: Yeah, so it seems like in the variety of cases that we've all looked
1: at, Strauss stands
0: alone in the sense that ultimately um, the ID was, was not accepted by the court as reliable. Or in all the other ones, um, the ID has, has stood Um, Dia is a New South Wales one and the facts of this is that there's a group of men who break into the house and terrorise the victims one of whom is a Miss McCain and she knows one of the offenders a Mr Fawaz the detectives get Miss McCain to do a Facebook search on the detective's phone for Mr Fawaz's Facebook page and in that she identifies um, she sees a photo, sorry, of a group of men. Miss um, Dia is part of that photo. The next day, Miss McCain goes onto Fawaz's Facebook page again. This time, by herself, and roams through the photos. And lo and behold, she identifies Mr. Dia um, through uh, a Facebook link. So the profile that she gets, though. Um, is under the name of Ali Khawaja it was um, not challenged by Mr Deer that, that in fact was his profile um, he was, went by the name of Ali Khawaja as well as Deer so again there was no challenge to, to authenticity and, and those issues here what was in challenge though um, was the, the identification Um, Miss McCain um, it was contended had gone on to Facebook with the expectation that Mr. Fawaz's friends might be involved in the offence it was also alleged that because she had seen Mr. Deer in the the photo of the group of men that she'd seen on the detective's phone um, she'd even though there was no identification made at that stage. She had already um, had that in her mind and used that to displace. Um, so then the next identification she does the following day um, is displaced, and there was issues about the the reliability of the, the photo of the group of men um, because there was um, some suggestion that there may have been some altering of that photo. Um, regardless of all these kinds of defects uh, included within that was the circumstances in which um, the, the armed robbery had occurred. She'd been stoned at the time um, and she'd given different descriptions of the offender. Um, regardless of all those criticisms, the Court of Appeal found that they were not decisive and in effect um, basically said well, these are matters um, for you know, a, a jury to to take into account, uh, witnesses can be cross-examined. Trial judges can make very strong um, warnings in their directions, um, and um, it's ultimately a matter for them. And the other types of cases that we've seen from other jurisdictions, which are similar kind of scenarios of um, people going through Facebook and identifying whether directed or undirected. Um, regardless of all the defects, courts have tended to, to suggest, well, these do matters for a jury, um, which is given strong um, directions from the judge. Or the, um, and I, I find that particularly troublesome. One particular thing that the, the court said in the case of Dia was that her identification um, by Ms McCann on Facebook was analogous to her attending a police station and examining a photo array or a police line-up. With respect, I I beg to differ with that because, of course, a a photo array and a police line-up is held in a much more controlled um, environment and also in circumstances where there's none of that kind of suggestion that comes into play. There's no issues in relation to um, to accuracy as well in terms of the authenticity of, of the photos that are being looked at and whether they've been tampered with. And also the timing that one has within a photo ID parade is all recorded, whereas in a Facebook identification um, it may be someone who's staring at the screen for God knows how long um, studying a photo and uh, and then displacing um, any um, any other identification that might happen subsequently. So, unfortunately, it seems like Strauss is the only case that one gets some comfort from, uh, whereas the others tend to, to be a bit of a doom and gloom from a defence perspective in terms of challenges to Facebook identification.
1: Uh, yes, just to provide a bit of Light at the end of the tunnel. Strauss is, of course, a um, South Australian case, and in South Australia they don't have the Uniform Evidence Act. The section 1142 of the Evidence Act may provide a path to excluding evidence of Facebook identification, which is obviously prompted, or lawyers would say contaminated in some way, and thereby get out what would otherwise go in. 1142 is a little weirdly structured because it has three ors and an and. So the uh, visual identification evidence and uh, Facebook ID based on of a witness gratuitously based on Photos they've trawled through on Facebook certainly is that. The adduced by the prosecutor is not admissible unless either one of the following three is true. An ID parade was held before the identification was made. It would not have been reasonable to have held such a parade or the accused refused to participate in such a parade. Well, one of those three will always be met in the uh, in the scenario we're talking about. Of course it's not going to be reasonable to have held a parade and one won't in fact have been held. Um, um, Because we don't even know necessarily in terms of the the prosecutor, in terms of the police, who our suspect is or the evidence implicating them might be weak. So we move on from those three oars and get to the end, which is the interesting bit. The identification was made without the person who made it having been intentionally influenced to identify the accused it does not say intentionally influenced by police or a person in a position of authority, intentionally influenced by anyone. it's a It's a topic not enormously litigated um, in the 2002 case of the Queen and Gibson, New South Wales CCA. of the year 2002, the trial judge had accepted the victim's evidence and the investigating police officer's evidence that I just, I as the victim just happened to be travelling past the station or in the vicinity and dropped into the station to see the OIC and I saw the person I identified as the accused out the front pure coincidence chance identification and the CCA said well that's a finding of fact and there's no there's no basis on which to disturb it implicit in that though is if that if, that if those parties evidence was rejected and the court concluded as a matter of fact that it had been a setup up then there would have been intentional influencing of the witness to make the identification and the evidence would have been excluded. So let's go to the scenario in the South Australian case of Strauss told by the witnesses that someone called Strauss was his an assailant and does a search that is in my opinion as plain and intentional influencing as there could be of a witness, and so there may well be in those cases where the Facebook ID has been highly led by anyone, not by a police officer necessarily, by anyone there has been highly led Facebook ID, 1142 may be a means of having it excluded. That is a potential light at the end of the tunnel which has not been extensively litigated. But... Um, by and large it is true that the assumption is that it goes in and that one's arguments as to circumstances displacement effect um, strong warnings and uh, cross-examination as to suggestion and contamination are what one has to deal with uh, by way of limiting the effect of the witness who says yeah, I searched up my um, um, my classmate's cousin's page, and I saw a guy on there. And I say that that is the photo of the one who robbed me.
0: Finally, we might just talk about the last point, which is defence use of social media. So we might just start this by just having a, a quick tip to say that. If you've got a client, regardless of whether there is social media evidence within the brief what's coming or not, just as a matter of principle in perhaps all matters, to warn your client about the potential for their social media to be used by the prosecution, either as an intelligence tool um, or as a means of, of obtaining evidence that might be used against them. Um, it's quite simple for your client to then go off and have a think about their privacy settings. Um, What people who are investigating, whether that be police or your civilian witnesses acting as private investigators, can then ultimately see. However, one has to tread a bit of a fine line as a lawyer... Ethically, um, it's one thing to warn a client about, the, about guarding their social media. It's quite another thing um, to aid a client or a better client in any way to destroy evidence and, and such that it might amount to a perversion of the course of justice. Um, so there has been cases, not criminal, but in the civil sphere, where there has been destruction of social media evidence um, to this effect, and uh, there's been criticisms of that. Um, a case in particular of Pallavi, Palavi P-A-L-A-V-I, uh, versus Radio 2E, Sydney, Palavi versus Queensland, news, Newspapers, Proprietary Limited, 2012, New South Wales Court of Appeal 182. What we did mention um, before though is that there's nothing that stops you ethically from doing a search um, of whatever is publicly available of um, any witnesses. And this can apply even in cases where there may not be social media evidence. In the standard brief that you have you might have a list of witnesses and you could quite simply do a Google um, search or a Facebook search of of each of those and see what might be publicly available on social media which could provide you with intelligence and or potentially uh, with social media evidence that you could use um, to challenge credibility for instance. Um, One of the questions that we often face though is if you want to adduce a piece of um, social media either through prosecution witness being cross-examined through one of your own witnesses bringing it forward um, but you you then find yourself missing bits. So we talked earlier about sometimes you might have only just extracts um, and you want the full context and it may be that your punter doesn't have those post anymore. You can go down the track of making a request from it from uh, from the witness, but the tactical disadvantage of that is that you reveal your hand. Um, People often ask, well, what about subpoenaing Facebook? Unfortunately, the short answer to can you subpoena Facebook is probably no. Um, it was revealed in uh, a recent case of Mohareb uh, against Palmer, M O H A R E B versus Palmer P A L M E R, two thousand and fifteen New South Wales District Court four one one. This was an unrepresented um, litigant who issued a subpoena against Facebook Australia, um, and Unlike what um, Simon was saying earlier, how Google has a more significant corporate presence in Australia, Facebook does have Facebook Australia, but their response to that subpoena was that um, Facebook Australia doesn't hold any documents or things to produce in response to a subpoena. Subpoena requests um, have to go to the United States um, because um, Facebook Incorporated is an organisation which exists under the United States law. There appears to be also a Facebook Island Limited. I'm not sure as to what the distinction between the US and Ireland is, um, and Facebook Australia's response didn't answer that question. Um, But essentially, Facebook Australia was saying they don't control, operate or host content available at Facebook.com or Facebook.com. .au, so a basic buck pass. Um, so you're instantly faced with a jurisdictional hurdle. When you go to Facebook um, themselves and what they say about subpoena, so I'm talking now about Facebook United States, um, and also in my prior communication with them about um how they can respond to subpoenas. Their response is essentially this that the United States federal law doesn't allow a private party, so what they mean by that, as I understand it, is uh, a party which is not law enforcement, it doesn't allow private parties to, to litigation to obtain the content of communications. So, content includes. Messages, timelines, posts, photos, etc. That so doesn't allow private parties to obtain this content using subpoenas, and they cite the Stored Communications Act, um, United States legislation. And what they then refer you to is they say, if you want to get this material, you should go to the party itself. So if you want to get Joe Blog's Facebook, you have to approach Joe Blog and get it from Joe Blog for example, via Ring Joe Blogs. They say that Facebook accounts allow you to produce and authenticate the content um, of your account. So there's a, a tool called Facebook Download Your Information, uh, which is accessible through the Settings option, and they're essentially saying that you should go to the, the party whose Facebook account it is and get them to do this download um, that, of course, is problematic because it just leads us back to um, tipping off the other party about uh, you making these inquiries. The subpoena, I suppose, is one that um, someone is legally bound to answer um, and not destroy evidence in the process of it. Palavi warned against that. Um, but one doesn't have control over those processes in much the same for a private citizen um, or as as much confidence um, of them complying as one might have for say um, other government parties. One suggestion that I have thought of is the possibility of subpoenaing the party whose Facebook account it is, um, but requiring them to physically attend court in answer to the subpoena, setting up a computer in the courtroom upon the return of the subpoena and giving them to do the download of the information there and then in court. This, as I understand it, has never been done before, um, but it might at least alleviate some of the concerns that I've raised. The other aspect um, that Facebook say on their webpage um, about subpoenas is that they, they do allow subpoenas, but not of the content, but just basic subscriber information. It's not clear exactly what would be included within such basic subscriber information, but in any event, um, any subpoena for that type of information, would have to be firstly done in the United States, so you would have to get a a US um, agent to do it for you. It would also require you to know the actual Facebook user ID that you are subpoenaing of the specific account or the email that it's associated with, so it's not good enough to just say um, Joe Blog's birthday or locations, that type of information would not be sufficient um, for them to answer the subpoena. Um, and there are huge costs also involved in terms of processing fees. Um, and the turnaround time for them to answer such a subpoena um, is quite extensive. Um, the last time that I asked them, um, there was an answer that... Um, that a subpoena or in this instance a search warrant uh, might take up to six months to answer. So in those circumstances it becomes practically useless to subpoena Facebook and one really needs to look at other ways um, to to find that material either for your own client or some other witness.
1: Uh, And on that topic Aaron, so Subpoenaing Facebook is pretty much a dead end. Um, it's going to be useless in uh, in almost every case. But ask your client in an appropriate case for their username and password. In a case where you're afraid of what you might see if you logged in, you might want to exercise some discretion. When visiting a client in custody, get the username and password. You can exercise your discretion later. Not just demand the username and password. Of course, you're interfering with your client's privacy to a degree. But, um, explain to them why it may be relevant and seek not just their username and password, but also authority to enter. The, um, if a client is not in custody and is attending an appointment with you in the office, um, get them to log in on an available device in front of you if they say that if it's part of their instructions of certain things that were um, favourable to the defence are, uh, are not otherwise disclosed on the prosecution brief of evidence the, uh, um, if that authority is given and acted on in an appropriate case obviously you Um, you're in there and there's a potential treasure trove of information for good or ill um, where it is likely to be contentious you have to get yourself one step removed because you can no longer act for the client if you've placed yourself in a position of being a witness in the proceedings Um, obviously even in a case where it's reasonably straightforward you enter, you um, access a chat that happened three months ago you print it out and you log out um, you have to be careful not to click on anything to, uh, uh, or change anything while you're there. But, uh, but in a case where it may be contentious, then um, obtain the details and you may wish to get an, uh, an agent, whether it's a, a fellow solicitor or anyone who's capable of giving evidence in court that they entered someone's Facebook page and performed certain steps and, uh, and saw certain things and here's the printout. Um, then that way you don't get disqualified from acting for the client yourself. Um, it's um, worth doing um, at least to have the the tool in your toolbox of being able to get in there if um, it's going to be useful to the defence to um, to do so in a particular case. The other thing that I was thinking of when you were talking about subpoenaing Facebook and Facebook being completely unhelpful for the prosecution and the defence as to the, um, the verification that certain things were said and done on Facebook is there's a fantastic um, US academic article by... Heather L. Griffith in volume 7 of the Washington Journal of Law, Technology and Arts. uh, From page 209 of that journal, it is available for free online through digital.law.washington.edu Understanding and Authenticating Evidence from Social Networking Sites. Um, It is of course written against the background of US law, um, where authentication is largely a specific precondition to admission in the way that it may not be under our Evidence Act, but um, at the stage of the headings of relevance and at the stage of the heading of is it reasonably open to conclude that the accused made this admission the what is said in that article regarding authentication is fantastic that is to say distinctive characteristics within the posting itself evidence from a witness with knowledge of the posting forensic computer evidence or the um for example, pictures, physical appearance, background and lifestyle revealed by the, um, by the profile, maybe the things that are relied upon to show that it really was put up, said or done by this accused and not just by a random person using their name. You mentioned a little bit earlier about...
0: Um the uselessness of subpoenaing Facebook from a defence perspective but also um, from the prosecution. I should just note though that the prosecution might have a little bit more success than the defence will um, because it appears that there may be some willingness by Facebook to provide information to law enforcement agencies um, In the first place, that would be a US law enforcement agency, but there are uh, mutual cooperation agreements that have been talked about between Australia um, and the US under the the auspices of the Attorney General. So, as I understand it, there is the ability to convince um, Australian police to approach the Attorney General to seek some mutual assistance. Um, of course, the police are going to be able to do this quite much more easily than than we will. Mm. Um, and it seems a little bit topsy-turvy if we would be approaching the police to ask them to approach for help to gain material that we can use. Um, I think that brings us to the end of the five things that we want to say about social media evidence um, Simon is there something that you might want to say in conclusion as kind of the takeaway points for practitioners
1: the practical takeaway for defence lawyers from these podcasts is that there's a four stage process that you can go through to determine whether evidence that served with your brief is actually going to go into evidence in the case. Firstly, what is the relevance of the evidence said to be? Secondly, is there any basis for challenging its admissibility because it's not adequately shown to be your client who was the author or poster of the relevant material? Thirdly, if the evidence relies upon hearsay for its relevance, does any exception to the hearsay rule apply? For example, it's an admission or it's a business record. And fourthly, if the social media evidence is otherwise admissible, are there any considerations of discretionary exclusion? that might assist you in keeping it out. Thank you very
0: much, Simon, for joining us um, in this two-part series on social media evidence. And we thank our listeners for tuning in as well. We hope that you've had um, some very helpful tips from these two series. Thanks, Simon. Thank you very much, Aaron.